Amanda, remember that time that Marilyn Monroe basically reinvented the film industry? Welcome to Remember That Time, an historical podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb. And this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history. And here we are. We're here and we're doing it. Very tired. I'm so exhausted. (laughs) We're both very sleepy today. It doesn't help that it's like very cloudy and stormy here. I don't know about where you are, but it's kind of stormy at my No, it's sunny here, but it's hot, which... Mm. Then makes me also tired. It's hot and very cloudy here today. Ah, uh, there so you go. That's how I. Yes, am. it's um, it's the last week of school for me as a mm-hmm. teacher. Um, so that just means that I am completely exhausted. Yeah, but I'm here. Yeah, and I'm excited. Well, today we're gonna talk about Marilyn Monroe. I'm very excited about this. But before we start discussing her, would you like a drink update? Yes. Okay, I'm enjoying a sparkling watermelon juice from Trader Joe's. These things are weird, but they're really good, and I definitely recommend them. Fancy. I'm drinking some really fancy water. (laughs) It's from the tap. (laughs) So fancy. just reminded me at work today like one of my the people on my team was answering an email and there was a typo in it where the person was trying to say um what are the best steps like for her to do something and instead she sent what are the best steaks (laughs) i was like well i'm partial to a filet mignon where can i get the finest steaks in the area (laughs) from your clothing company that Uh, made me chuckle anyway i don't know why that reminded me of that but it did um well we're gonna talk about marilyn monroe today i'm very excited so the day that this episode comes out should be as long as we get it up on time um the day before my birthday Uh uh-huh and i share a birthday with marilyn monroe yes so i thought let's just talk about her today yes an appropriate time yes um, before we get into it, I do want to give a quick content warning that there are going to be some mentions of uh, sexual abuse and addiction in this episode. We're not going to talk about it super in depth, but just in case. Um, that- Take care of yourself. If that's not something that you feel comfortable listening to, just skip this episode. Yeah, totally. Um, so let's get into it. Let's do it. So... Norma Jean Mortensen, later baptized as Norma Jean Baker, is born on June 1st, 1926 in Los Angeles, California. Hold on, I just gotta, I have to get one out real quick. Yep, do it. Goodbye, Norma Jean. Okay, I'm good now. Yep, I was waiting for that. I just, we, I had, (laughs) it was gonna come eventually. Oh, yeah, it's been stuck in my head since I typed that sentence. I, yes, I opened up the doc and I immediately, it seems to me. You lived your life. <laughs> Sorry. We're, we, we, we stand Elton John in this house. Oh, 100%. Oh, my God. You guys, I saw him on his farewell tour. It was the best day of my life. Very jealous. Um. Anyway, 
So um, I want to talk about her mother for a minute here because her mother is super interesting. And also the details about her mom here are going to be important for what happens to her next. Okay. Also, I'm going to refer to her as Norma Jean up until the point where she gets her stage name. Okay. Because that makes sense in my brain for the timeline. Sure. Okay. So her mother is Gladys Pearl Baker. Uh, Gladys comes from a poor Midwestern family. Um, when she's 15, Gladys marries John Newton Baker. He is 24. Oh, geez. He is abusive. Um, and together they have two children. Norma Jean is not one of them. Okay. <laughs> um, in 1923, Gladys successfully files for divorce and sole custody of her kids. However... Her stupid husband kidnaps them <gasps> and moves them to Kentucky, where he's from. Oh, my so gosh. she doesn't get to see them again. Oh, my gosh. So as nobody re- did anything about this? Well, I, I think mean, this was, was more common than you, you might think. Yeah, it's the 1920s. Yeah. But still, my God. But she was able to get custody. So legally, right. he did kidnap them. It's not like yeah. he just took them. Good Lord. But as a result of this, Norma Jean actually doesn't know that she has siblings until she's like 12 years old. Oh, wow. And she doesn't meet her sister from this, you know, first marriage um, until she's an adult. Wow. Um, So after Gladys divorces John, um, she, (laughs) I just thought this was interesting. She works as a film negative cutter. Oh, cool. Um, and then in 1924, she marries Martin, Martin Edward Mortensen, uh, but they separate just a few months later and they're divorced in 1928. So, um, the identity of Norma Jean's father is not known. She doesn't know who he is. We still don't know who it is. Um, so that's why there are, like, two different names mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Because right. she eventually gets baptized with the Baker last name, which is her mother's last name that her mother kept gotcha. after her first marriage. And that's what she went by until, But when she was you know, born, she was born with the last name of her mother's I, then husband, yeah. even though they had been divorced or separated for a while. Correct. Okay. Wow, that's a lot. Well, there's going to be more. Yeah. So Gladys is a single mother raising Norma Jean, and she's not very financially stable. So when she's younger, Norma Jean is placed in a foster home with evangelical Christian parents. Oh, okay. Um, She lives with them for... Um, a while and for the first kind of six months that she's with them Gladys lives there too but then later has to move back to the city to work okay um so she visits Norma Jean on the weekends now to us now this seems like a very strange situation but I know I have read about other like this that that is not terribly uncommon, like, during the Depression era. Yeah, I mean, we call it a foster home, but I don't think it was really, like, within the foster system, necessarily. Right. Um, it was probably, frankly, probably just people that 
either Gladys knew or that were willing or to like, take them in somehow. Like, like full-time nannies, kind of. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Kind of, yeah. Um, well, because they probably took on more families than just her. Probably, yeah. I That's, didn't read anything into them just because she's not really with them too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but but just yeah, given probably. a lot of people's financial situation during the depression, that did kind of become like yeah. some people's jobs. Yeah. So when Norma Jean is seven um, in 1933, her mother buys a house in Hollywood with the help of a loan. So she's able to get a home for them. Okay. Um, so Norma Jean moves in with her there. Um, they share the house with lodgers, kind of like what you were just talking about. Very common. Mm-hmm. Um, the actors George and Maude Atkinson and their daughter, Nellie. Um, and then, gosh, this is, there's a lot of sadness in this story, so just yeah. get ready. Just buckle in. Um, in January of 1934, Gladys has what is essentially a mental break. Oh. Um, she's diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and oh, she is committed to the Metropolitan State Hospital. That's terrible. And and Norma Jean is like what eight now? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and she eventually, you know, dies. I don't remember if she's in the hospital when she dies, but she passes away around this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Norma Jean becomes a ward of the state, and okay. her mother's friend grace goddard eventually takes responsibility like for norma jean and gladys's affairs okay she's not she doesn't live with grace right away um she actually for about 16 months after her mother's death continues living with the lodgers the atkinsons Mm -hmm. and she is sexually abused by i assume the husband um terrible yeah um but she doesn't stay with them for too long and then in 1935 she does live with grace goddard and her husband doc uh for a while um and then in september of that year grace places her in a an orphanage Mm -hmm. in the los angeles orphans home and she stays there for a while um until the orphanage staff um, kind of convinced Grace that Norma Jean's best interests are to not be in the orphanage. And to, like, um, be with Grace full time. Yeah. Um, so she takes her back in um, and she becomes her legal guardian in 1936. Um, well, she becomes her guardian in 1936, but she doesn't actually take her out of the orphanage until 1937, which is like, okay. Um, and it didn't last very long, her staying with them, because, again, she was sexually abused by Grace's husband, Doc. This is terrible. God forbid we let a young woman live in our home without taking advantage of her it's terrible it is terrible poor girl she's so young and they were also like very religious and she of course always yeah she wasn't allowed to do certain things like she wasn't allowed to go to the movies when she lived with them it was just um so she hops around a little bit more she lives 
with some of Grace's relatives and friends and um, for periods of time throughout LA and um, Compton. And then in 1938, she gets kind of a more permanent home with Grace's um, Grace's aunt on a lower. Um, and while she lives with her, she's enrolled in Emerson Junior High School. Um, she goes to weekly Christian science services with her, I which is yikes. I am fascinated to know what they <laughs> talked about in the 1930s in Christian science services. Oh, my God. That has yeah. to be interesting. Yeah. Um, Norma Jean's a pretty mediocre student, um, but she does do well in writing and she contributes to her school paper. Um, but the woman she's living with, um, is older and has health problems. So eventually she goes back to live with the Goddards in 1941. She doesn't really have anywhere else to go. Um, and then in the same year, she starts attending Van Nuys High School. Um, and then in 1942, Doc Goddard's company relocates him to West Virginia. I did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. So she could have lived in West Virginia, but she doesn't. Okay. Um, <laughs> because the child protection laws in California don't allow them to take her out of state. Well, good, because he yeah. was terrible. So yeah, thank for God sure. for that. Seriously. Um. So, to avoid being sent back to an orphan's home, she, at the age of 16, marries the Goddard's neighbor's son, who is 21, and his name is James Doherty. Um, And they are married on June 19th of 1942. Oh, goodness. This is Um, a lot. Yeah, and at this point, she drops out of school to become a housewife basically. oh my god that's the 40s were a different time mm-hmm. so in 1943 her husband james enlists in the merchant marines and he's stationed on santa clarita island so they move there okay um and then in april of 1944 james is shipped out to the pacific and he serves there for the next two years so she's kind of by herself um, she does move in with her in-laws because God forbid a woman live alone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she takes a job at the radio plane company, which is a munitions factory in Van Nuys. Okay. In 1944, she meets a photographer by the name of David Conover. Um, he had been sent by the, um, army air forces, mo- first motion picture unit, which I, I'm fascinated by yeah. the existence of that. Hundred <laughs> percent. I could so do he, a. I, uh, mm, I just find it very interesting. Yeah, do the propaganda episode. machine of World War Two is. Yeah, so interesting. Well, he's sent to the factory where she's working uh-huh. to take pictures uh-huh. of the female workers. So it's part of that you know, for their role. campaigns. Yes. Yeah. Um, none of her pictures were used by them, but she becomes friends with him and she quits working at the factory in January of 1945 to begin modeling for him and then like his other photographer friends. Good for her. Um, she moves out on her own. Despite Good for the fact her. That her husband doesn't want her to. Um, and she signs a contract with the blue book model agency in August of 1945. 
So, as a model, uh, her figure is deemed to be more suitable for pinup than high fashion. Um, this uh-huh. is, like, pretty normal for anybody who wasn't, like... This. She's curvier. She's a little curvier. I mean, we could have a whole conversation about how now we look at Marilyn Monroe and are like, oh, look at this curvy woman. But she actually was, like, just normal size. Like, yep. she... Anyway. <laughs> yeah. But for high fashion, that was not She the was look. curvy. High she fashion had a figure. was stick. Yes. She had a figure and she had some, you know, fat on her body, which was popular as a pinup look. Yes. Um, if you were going to be a pinup model, actually, you could not be skinny. You, yeah. You know, that's just how it was. Mm-hmm. So she was mostly featured in ads because pinup was very commercial at the time mm-hmm. and also in men's magazines sure um to make herself more employable or, or employable excuse me she straightens her hair and dyes it blonde so okay. this is when she becomes a blonde mm-hmm. um and by early for 1946 she has appeared on 33 magazine covers wow um which is crazy to think about yeah um and during her modeling career, she would sometimes go by the pseudonym of Jean Norman, which I just think is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so she's playing with the pseudonym now. Yeah, she's getting there. So in June of 1946, she signs with an acting agency. Which is okay. pretty common for models, mm-hmm. I think. Um, Model to acting <laughs> pipeline, as oh, it were. Totally. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, she interviews with Paramount Pictures, but it's not a very good interview. Um, but then she's given a screen test by Ben Lyon, who's a 20th Century Fox executive. Um, they weren't super enthusiastic about her, but they do give her a standard six-month contract because they don't want her to be signed by rival studios, basically. Okay. So her contract begins in August of 1946, and this is when she comes up with the stage name along with Ben Lyon, um, or possibly Leon, I don't know how you say his name. Um, They come up with it together, Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. The first name was picked by him um, because he said that she reminded him of the Broadway star Marilyn Miller. Okay. And she chose the last name because it was her mother's maiden name. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So now she's Marilyn Monroe, baby. Marilyn Monroe. Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, in September of 1946, she divorces her husband because <laughs> he does not support her career. She said, I'm out on my own now. Bye. She said, I'm making money. I don't need you. Goodbye. Good for her. Good for her. Uh, for the first part of her time with... um. Fox under her contract. She does take acting and singing and dancing lessons. Um, Her contract is renewed in February of 1947. And she kind of starts getting smaller roles in some of their stuff. Um, And then the studio enrolls her in the Actors Laboratory Theater, which is, you know, an acting school. Uh Um, And she later says that it is, quote, my first taste of what real acting in a real drama could be. And I was hooked. Aww. Um, Her teachers thought she was too shy to really excel in acting. And huh. this will kind of come up a lot more throughout her career. 
Um, and then Fox does not renew her contract in August of 1947. Mm. So after her contract ends, she goes back to modeling. Um, she'll do some odd jobs at studios. Um, I thought this was interesting. One of the jobs she would do is she was work. She would work as a dancing pacer to keep the leads on point at musical sets. Oh, I thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Um, she continues to take lessons at the Actors Lab. Um, she gets a small role in the play Glamour Preferred, um, but it only runs for like a couple of performances. Sure. Um, so she would network with different producers. She befriends the gossip columnist Sydney Skolowski. I don't know if I said that right. Um, and she would entertain male guests at studio events Mm -hmm. um she becomes a friend and a sexual partner to the fox executive joseph m schneck 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 i think it's um who eventually persuades the head executive of columbia pictures to sign her so she gets signed in march of 1948 to columbia pictures okay um, this is where she becomes the platinum blonde that okay. we all know, um, because they want to model her look after Rita Hayworth, very okay. famous star. Sure. Um, she begins working with the studio's head drama coach, Natasha Lightes, and Natasha is her mentor until around 1955. Um, she ditches her for another coach, just... That's what happens. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, she only has one role with Columbia, and it's a low-budget musical called Ladies of the Chorus. But this is her first, like, starring role. Mm. Um, but then her contract is not renewed in September of 1948. Oh, man. So... She, she really is living that actor's life. 100%. Um, so she goes back to modeling uh-huh. yet again. Um, after she leaves Columbia, she meets, um, Johnny Hyde. She becomes his mistress. Okay. Um, and he is the vice president of the William Morris Agency. He helps her land some small roles in, in different films, um, including All About Eve, and the asphalt jungle, both of right. which were very big. Uh-huh. Um, and this is when she starts kind of gaining notice as like a serious working actress. Like people start considering her an actress at this point rather than like a model who's trying to act. Right. And then in September of 1950, Hyde comes through and he negotiates a seven year contract for Marilyn Monroe at 20th Century Fox. Nice. So, it's what she needed. Yeah. Finally. And then, days after he negotiates this, he dies of a heart attack. Oh, my God. She was she She really, she, but she also, she really made that move. She said, I'm going to get in there. Yeah. And I'm going to become this man's mistress. And I'm going to get my big break. And I'm going to get my contract. And then I'm not going to have to deal with him anymore. (laughs) Well, she, she actually was very fond of him. And she was very heartbroken after his death. But also, Um, good for her. (laughs) 
Right. So in 1951, she gets supporting roles in some successful films, um, As Young As You Feel, Love Nest, and Let's Make It Legal. Um, And this is when she starts gaining some uh, notice and praise from critics. Um, She starts getting really popular with audiences, as you might imagine. Uh She gets fan letters. She is declared Miss Cheesecake of 1951, which is, like, a word that people used for, um, like, a pinup model. Cheesecake. I, I love Which that. is weird. <laughs> it's really um, weird, but calling someone Miss Cheesecake and it has nothing to do with, like, actual I hate it. cheesecake is, I like, hate it. I don't know how to feel. My brain is um, confused. <laughs> well, it's something that she, – so she's declared that by a newspaper called Stars and Stripes, and they – name her that because she um is very popular among the soldiers during the korean war okay. so that's where they like take it that's where the newspaper like is giving her praise because uh, of that how is I mean? how are those two things connected though what do you mean like why is her being miss cheesecake at all connected to her being a favorite of as a pinup model Oh, okay. I that piece was lost on me for some reason. Okay, that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> okay. So she's out here, she's living her life. She has relationships with several different men. And then in 1952, she starts dating the New York Yankees star Joe DiMaggio. Yes, of course. We'll talk more about Marilyn and DiMaggio in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't I can't hear her name paired with DiMaggio without thinking of the television show Smash. Oh, I thought you were going to say we didn't start the fire. Also, yes. <laughs> but the I I watched like one season of Smash. But oh, Okay. Did you did you ever watch no, Smash? Never watched it. The plot of the show is these two uh actresses trying out for a musical about Marilyn Monroe and they're like competing for the lead role and I just have a vivid memory of one of the scenes of them auditioning being in a song about her relationship with Joe Joe DiMaggio that's funny it's I will always associate it again (laughs) haven't seen that much of the show but I will never not think of that (laughs) so then in March of 1952 Marilyn finds herself at the center of her first real scandal. Oh, drama. So she publicly reveals that she has posed nude for a calendar in 1949. Okay. She does this because the studio had found out about the photos and they decided that it would be better to, for her to bring it up and lay it out rather than, you know, for somebody to just find out to right. avoid damaging her career. Right. Um, and they really stress that she did it while she was very broke and needing work. Okay. Because God forbid you just want to take photos, whatever. Right. Um, so interestingly enough, though, despite the fact that this is 1952, it does the strategy that they use works because she gets a lot of public sympathy and that generates a lot of interest in her films. Right. Um, that's a really hit or miss strategy though. Like that really could have yeah. gone the other way on her. Uh huh. Um, she is featured on the cover of life as the quote talk of Hollywood. 
And the gossip columnist Hedda Hopper declares her, quote, the, quote, cheesecake queen turned box office smash. So we're really using that term a lot. Wow. And I don't like it. I like it, it less and less every time. <laughs> it feels gross. Yeah. Um. So soon after the scandal, because they want to capitalize off of it, Fox releases three of the films that she's in. Sure. Clash by Night, Don't Bother to Knock, and We're Not Married. Um. So this really... It starts to establish her as a sex symbol, which right. is how you hear most people refer to Marilyn Monroe. If, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to describe her to someone. Um, you know, I have my issues with that, but here we are. <laughs> um, and despite this, the fact that she is very popular and now considered a sex symbol, um, Marilyn really wants to show more of her acting range. Good for her. Um, she had been taking a lot of classes and she was able to do that in Clash by Night and Don't Bother to Knock because they are sort of different roles for her in those movies. Um, but then there are some more publicity stunts to really, uh, cement that image of a sex symbol. Right. Um, she wears a very revealing dress when she acts as the Grand Marshal at the Miss America pageant parade. Mm-hmm. Um, she tells the gossip columnist Earl Wilson that she usually doesn't wear underwear. Oh you know, gosh. little things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it works. The gossip columnist Florabelle Muir names her the It Girl of 1952. Mm-hmm. Which, know. absolutely. Yeah, 100%. But while all this is going on, she's also gaining a reputation of being, like, very difficult to work with. Um, she shows up late a lot, or sometimes not at all. She has a hard time remembering her lines. And she demands, like, several retakes, which really bothered you know, her directors, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, she also relies a lot on her acting coaches, which directors don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people attribute all of that to her very serious perfectionism, as well as some low self-esteem and stage fright. Because like mm-hmm. we talked about before, she was, she was pretty shy. Mm-hmm. And, and going from just like... Trying to work your way up in that industry to all of the sudden being, like, center stage is a really yeah. big flip. Well, and also, yeah, it, it is. Like, she kind of became a star in the press before she really became a star for her roles. And that's very different from just right. being a star for your roles. Uh-huh. It's a very different type of fame. Right. Which is a lot harder to deal with. Yeah. And as a result of her anxiety, and she also has chronic insomnia, she starts using barbiturates and amphetamines and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, she doesn't really become addicted until around 1956, but she This is, is when she starts using. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. she's using a lot, which obviously then exacerbates the issues of her being kind of difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in 1953... 
Um, she stars as a femme fatale in the film Noir Niagara. Mm-hmm. And this is when um, we really get her famous look. Yes. She and her makeup artist, um, Alan Whitney Snyder, had developed this trademark look for her by this point. Dark arched eyebrows, pale skin, red lips, and a beauty mark, which mm-hmm. we still refer to as having, a, like, a Marilyn mark on your face. Mm-hmm. Um, Niagara was a pretty controversial film. Um, people consider it to be, like, the most overtly sexual film she had done mm-hmm. ever. Um, when well, it's and released- that also comes with that femme fatale character just, yeah, yeah totally just in general but it's and like, noirs are very guilty of that also it's yeah but like the most famous shot from the movie is like i don't remember how long it is but it's like very long shot that's just her walking and her hips swaying right like that's the kind of movie this is yeah yeah um when it's released in january of 1953 women's clubs protest it like that's <laughs> how much people were not wow into it um so that film sort of establishes her look right it really cements more of her image as a sex symbol Mm -hmm. but then her second film of 1953 is the musical comedy gentlemen prefer blondes which we all know the look is iconic but this is what really sets up her being typecast as like the dumb blonde right and those two symbols of her go really hand in hand yeah so it makes it easy to just typecast her as that in all aspects of her life yeah and even now when you like think about marilyn Monroe, like you think about the soft voice and Mm -hmm. like that was very much part of that whole spiel the whole like dumb blonde persona Mm -hmm. um Okay, so now we're going to talk about something that, um, I'm, I hate it. So, in Dece- I, I get mad every time I think about this. In December of 1953, Hugh Hefner puts Marilyn Monroe on the cover and makes her the centerfold of the first issue of Playboy magazine. Uh-huh. She did not consent to this oh my god the cover image is a picture taken of her at that miss america pageant parade mm-hmm. and the centerfold is one of those 1949 nude photographs good lord which he paid like i think like 600 dollars for and then he puts it in this magazine that we all know made millions of dollars she didn't see a single penny of that and she didn't consent to it being there either. She surely did not. Good Lord. Hugh Hefner has like a weird obsession with Marilyn Monroe. And we'll talk about it more later because he will come up again. But I hate this. I hate this so much. Yeah, it's garbage. <laughs> because he, she made him. She made him. Uh-huh. And she didn't see a single penny of that. Mm-hmm. I hate it. She made him unwillingly, by the way. Yes. Yikes. So we'll come back to some of that later. Um, So Marilyn's still acting. At this point, she's one of Fox's biggest stars, but her contract has not changed since the year 1950. 
So she's not paid as much as other stars of her caliber, but she's raking in all the money. And on top of that, she's not able to choose her own roles. Right. Because remember, we're still in the time where we kind of talked about this, I think, with Grace Kelly, where the studio, it's called the studio system or something like that, where the studios contract the actresses and then you only act in those films and actors. Um, so the actors are really the ones making the studio money, but she's not allowed to choose how she appears in films. Right. So that's Um, why that typecasting becomes so severe for her. (laughs) Totally. Any attempt for her to be in anything else, the head executive of the studio, Daryl F. Zanuck, would shoot it down. Mm-hmm. He did not like her, like, personally. Uh-huh. Um, and also didn't think she would earn the studio as much money in other types of roles. Which is like, I mean, I guess, but also at this point, if you put Marilyn Monroe in anything, it's going to make money. Yeah. So. So in January of 1954, he actually suspends her because she refuses to shoot another musical comedy called The Girl in Pink Tights. Again, I say, good for her. And then we begin Marilyn Monroe's revenge tour because <laughs> it's not very long. But in January, uh, January 14th of 1954, Marilyn Monroe marries Joe DiMaggio. Okay. This is a very big deal. You know, she's a big movie star. He's very famous. Um, They honeymoon in Japan because he also is going on like a work trip there. Mm -hmm. And after that, she travels alone to Korea. Don't love when women travel alone. Um, And performs in a USO show, which spans over a four-day period, and she performs songs from her films for over 60,000 U.S. Marines. Okay. The studio does not love this because the studio is not making any money off of it. Uh Uh-huh. So, in March of 1954, they finally settle on a new contract. So, she settles with Fox um, for... A bonus of a hundred thousand dollars. There we go. Get that. And a starring out. role in the film adaptation of the Broadway show The Seven Year Itch. Yes. So the filming for The Seven Year Itch starts in September of 1954. It is shot in Hollywood, but the studio decides as a publicity stunt uh-huh. to stage the filming of the scene where she's standing on the subway grate with the Uh air blowing up her skirt and the white dress Uh on Lexington Avenue in Manhattan. Right. So that shoot, quote unquote, lasts several hours and brings in like 2,000 spectators. And is like the most famous image of her that exists. Oh, it's iconic. Yeah. It's iconic. Um, That whole stunt gets her front pages all over the world. Mm Mm-hmm. But it also basically marks the end of her marriage with Joe DiMaggio because Mm. he did not like it. Um, He was also very jealous and very controlling and physically abusive. So they didn't last very long. Um, She files for divorce from him in October of 1954. So they were married for about nine months. Mm. But it's like such a famous union. Yeah. But it only lasted nine months. Yeah. Yeah. So, in November of 1954, the seven-year itch wraps filming. 
Um, and Marilyn decides to leave Hollywood and go east with the photographer Milton Green. And together, they form their own production company called Marilyn Monroe Productions. And this was later called Instrumental in the Collapse of the Studio System. I live for this. I love this. This is incredible. She's one of the first people to say, I'm going to do my own productions, not under the studio with which I am contracted. Incredible. And it really reshapes the whole system now yeah. was marilyn monroe productions particularly successful not really i mean all but of her films after this as famous as her to make this leap is huge huge, huge. And when she does this, she essentially says that her contract with Fox is over because they never held up their end of the deal. Mm -hmm. They did not pay her bonus. She did get to star in the film, but they didn't pay her bonus. Uh Uh-huh. So this basically kicks off like a year-long battle with Fox. Um, And she gets pretty hounded in the press. Um, she's parodied in the Broadway play Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter, which is rude. Um, but Jane Mansfield plays her, because she looks like her, mm-hmm. um, as a dumb actress who starts her own production company. Like, right. that's the plot of the show. But she don't care. In mm-hmm. 1955, she moves to Manhattan. Um, she continues to study acting. And this is where she starts working with Lee Strasberg, who's a very famous acting coach. Um, and... She gets really close with him and his wife, Paula. This is when she ditches Natasha, as I mentioned earlier. Right. Um, And as part of her training with Strasbourg, she starts undergoing psychoanalysis Mm. because he believes an actor has to confront their emotional traumas and then use it in their performances. Mm. She studies a lot of, like, method acting under him, as you might imagine. And therapy? That's kind of his thing. What a what a concept. Yeah, except that when you're using it for acting, it's not always that. Because you're kind right. of exploiting your trauma to use it for your... Right. Trauma. And probably not and dealing this, with it in a healthy way. Yeah. Right. In this situation. Yes. I'm not saying that's true for every actor who undergoes therapy. Right. I just but mean, what's happening to her, that is, that is what She started doing yeah. it as part of her acting coaching. Yeah. You know? And not her own mental health. Right. Um, she continues her relationship with DiMaggio, despite the fact that there are divorce proceedings happening. I mean, you know how it be with relationships like that. Uh Um, but she also has a relationship with Marlon Brando around this time. Um, and then she enters into a relationship with Arthur Miller. Right. Um, which is, if Joe DiMaggio is not her most famous relationship, this is, um, they begin an affair, um, and because he's married at the time, and it starts to become more serious in, around October of 1955, which is when her divorce is finalized and he separates from his wife. Okay. Um, the studio, because she is technically still under contract with them, uh, want her to end this relationship, which is like, I don't know how you think she's going to listen to you at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's because he is being investigated by the FBI because he is alleged to be a communist, which like, eh, kind of, um, and because she refuses to break up with him, this 
leads to an FBI file being opened on her. <laughs> so Marilyn Monroe has an FBI file, just FYI. I think oh. most people know that, but just, you know. Oh, we were so... Paranoid. <laughs> we really just really did some stuff mm-hmm. because of communism. It's so funny to me. I am yeah. I am endlessly amused by this. I think it is the most ridiculous thing we did. It's yeah. not. Well, it's one of it's not, but it's yeah. I, I find it so entertaining. It's really I uh, it it's just deep paranoia. Uh-huh. It's so interesting. Uh-huh. So by the end of 1955, Marilyn and Fox have signed a new seven-year contract. Um, she mostly does this because her production company is not going to be able to finance films alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the studio really wants her working again because they're making all of their money off of her. Right. So the contract entails that they will pay her $400,000 to make four films. And they grant her the right to choose her own projects, directors, and cinematographers. Good. Okay. Yes. And she's also allowed to make one film for her production company per each completed film for Fox. That's that's what she wanted. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, there's still I don't a lot know. of... Get- Hard to say. Right. But it's, it's, it's... She still has to work within the system because... Breaking out on her own with that production company it was the first time that had ever happened. So it was going to be and really it's not difficult like they to have... completely break away because there was no system in place to allow her no. to completely break away. And so they have that no money. Was that like given they take don't, that she needed. They don't have the money to produce their own films. No, they're not a studio. So you know, mm-hmm. but it's becoming more like having an agent independent of a production company right and then working with a production company which is what the system is like now it was the starts of that shift exactly so on june 29th 1956 marilyn monroe and arthur miller get married Uh um they like have a really small ceremony and then they also have a jewish ceremony because he's jewish and she converts to Judaism for her marriage, mm-hmm. which leads Egypt to ban all of her <laughs> films, which I just thought was an interesting fact. Yeah. Um, in 1957, she suffers an ectopic pregnancy and then a year later suffers a miscarriage. Man. Um, she had endometriosis. Right. So that's probably what caused it. Um, and then she was also briefly hospitalized for a barbiturate overdose. Oof, yeah. So things are starting to get bad again for Marilyn at this mm. point. Um, in July of 1958, she starts filming the movie Some Like It Hot. Uh-huh, another very which I'm famous. I'm sure you've heard of. Mm-hmm. Um, the production is pretty infamous, like the production process. Um, she demands dozens of retakes. She doesn't remember any of her lines. She won't act them as they're directed. Her co-star, Tony Curtis, famously said that kissing her was like, quote, kissing Hitler, which I don't really understand. Um, because they had to do so many retakes. I don't really understand what he meant by that. Me either. But that's what he said. Um... And she privately likened the production to 
to a sinking ship and commented on her co-stars and directors saying, but why should I worry? I have no phallic symbol to lose. (laughs) Iconic. Amazing. Um, But the film is released in March of 1959. It's a very big critical success. Mm -hmm. And she's nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actress for this movie. Um, And then in 1960, um, they begin working on the film The Misfits, uh, which was a film by John Huston, but Miller had rewritten parts of it um, to had written it to provide her with a dramatic role. Got it. So it's a, it actually ends up being the last film she completes. Mm. Not the last one she works on, but the last one she completes. Um, at this point, her marriage with Arthur Miller is not great. He has begun a new relationship with a set photographer, which is like classic. Mm. Um, her health is also not good at this point. Um, she has gallstones of course, she's suffering from a pretty severe drug addiction at this point. Um, her her addiction is so severe by now that her makeup has to be applied while she's asleep Ugh. under under the influence. God. Because otherwise they, like, aren't going to get her to make up. Wow. Um, and in August of that year, filming is halted for about a week for her to go to a detox. Gosh. Um. And then when filming wraps, uh, that is when she and Arthur Miller separate. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in January of 1961, she gets a Mexican divorce, which is exactly what it sounds like. Um, A lot of people would go to Mexico to get divorces because they were faster. Ah. So they called them like quickie divorces or Mexican divorces. Ah, got it. So, like I said, by the year 1961, she's dealing with a lot of health problems. Um... She has her gallbladder removed. She also undergoes surgery for her endometriosis. Uh-huh. Um, she's hospitalized for about four weeks for her depression. Uh-huh. Um, and actually her ex-husband, Joe DiMaggio, helps her a lot at this point. Um, and they're friends by now. And she actually dates one of his friends. I bet you can't guess. Frank Sinatra. <laughs> um, for several months. Um, and then in 1962, she moves back to California, and this is when she buys her now very famous home at 12305 Fifth Helena Drive in Brentwood, Los Angeles, which mm-hmm. <laughs> Brentwood, uh, you might recognize from it being where O.J. Simpson lived uh, right, during right, right, that time. Right, right. So, mm-hmm. very bougie neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of stars lived in Brentwood. Um... So, in 1962, she's filming Something's Got to Give, um, and on May 19th of that year, she takes a break from that filming to go to the birthday celebration of one Mr. President John F. Kennedy. A classic. This is where she famously sings Happy Birthday, Mr. President. Right. Which has been parodied many times over. Yes. Um... And she wears a beige skin-tight dress covered in rhinestones, which kind of makes it look like she's nude. Mm-hmm. 
And this whole thing leads to a lot of rumors that maybe she's having an affair with the president. There are also rumors that she's having an affair with his brother, Robert Kennedy. Like, there's a lot of rumors about that. Marilyn Monroe's name has been intrinsically linked to Kennedy, which is so funny to me because, like... They didn't interact. This that is much. it. This is the one. <laughs> this is the one thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird. But it's a very famous connection. Yeah. Um. So she returns to filming. Something's got to give. Um. There's a really famous scene she films where she's swimming naked in a swimming pool and they once again try to turn this into a publicity stunt and they invite the press to take pictures um those are later published in life that makes me um, angry <laughs> yeah well i mean i guess if you're already doing it for the film i know it just is like she's working i don't know <laughs> but it's the first time that a major star has technically posed nude at the height of their career huh. so pretty famous you know right moment in time um she is sick through a lot of the filming um and the executives at fox are not great about that fact um she at one point has to go on sick leave for i don't know how many times at this point she goes on sick leave again mm-hmm. um and fox decides that it can't afford to have this film running behind schedule because it's already dealing with the very high costs of the film cleopatra which Mm -hmm. was very famous Mm -hmm. um but they they spent a lot of money on that movie so on june 7th they fire marilyn monroe from this movie and they sue her for seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in damages Uh, um which is wild uh um she's replaced by lee remick but the director refuses to make the film with anyone other than Marilyn Monroe. So oh, they wow. have to so shut this it down. The whole thing is falling apart. Yep. So they have to shut down production. And they, of course, the studio blames her and they start spreading really negative publicity stuff. Publicity yeah. about her. Um, they start alleging that she's mentally disturbed, which oh, is Lord. like. Well, she is, but that's really not something for you to be disclosing. Uh huh. Um, and also, don't you think she needs help instead of be, but being whatever. belittled in the press? Yeah. Uh, but soon after, they regret their decision, oh, which like shocking. yeah. Um, and they try to reopen negotiations with her. Um, they do settle on a new contract, which includes. You know, starting up the filming of Something's Gotta Give again, and also giving her a starring role in the comedy What a Way to Go. Um, but those, she never finishes production on those. Mm-hmm. So, on August 5th of 1962, Marilyn is staying in her home, and her housekeeper, Eunice Murrah, is also staying at the house with her. Um, And her housekeeper wakes up at 3 a.m. on August 5th, sensing that something is wrong, Mm. which is very interesting. She goes to Marilyn's room. She sees a light on under her door, but she's not getting a response. And she finds that the door is locked. Um, She calls Marilyn Monroe's psychiatrist, Ralph Greenson. 
And he comes to the house and he breaks into the room through mm-hmm. a window and he finds her in her bed deceased. Mm-hmm. Um, her physician, Hyman Engelberg, arrives at the house around 3.50 a.m. and pronounces her dead at the scene. And then at 3.25, or I'm sorry, at 4.25 a.m., the LAPD is notified. Wow. It's interesting that it takes them so long to call. But also, I guess, you know, the doctor's already there and has pronounced her dead. So, I don't know. It's kind of weird. But, um, so, Marilyn Monroe dies on August 4th of 1962, sometime between 8.30 p.m. and 10.30 p.m. And obviously, she's not discovered until the 5th. Right. Um, and the cause was uh, an acute barbiturate poisoning. Mm. They find medicine bottles around her bed. Mm-hmm. Um, the possibility of it being accidental is ruled out just because of the amount that she has in her system. Mm. The dosages are like several times over the lethal limit. Right. So it's ruled as a probable suicide right. obviously they don't know because no one was there yeah. and she did have an addiction so it's entirely possible but that, yeah she had made other attempts in the past mm-hmm. and after they were told that they took that into consideration when they ruled her death right um her funeral takes place on august 8th at the westwood village memorial park cemetery it was private um only her closest like friends were there um, Joe DiMaggio actually re- arranges the service mm. along with her previously mentioned half-sister, Bernice Baker Miracle, who we mentioned earlier she didn't meet until she was an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and also her business manager um, helped to arrange the service. Um, lots of people crowded the streets around the cemetery. Um, she is entombed at Crypt Number 24, at the corridor of memories mm-hmm. at the at the cemetery. Mm-hmm. And here's where our good buddy shows up again because in 1992, guess who pays $75,000 for the crypt next That's to hers? So That's right, gross. Hugh Hefner. That's so gross. You have no right. You have it's no really right. Weird. It's really it's creepy. Super gross. And he do, he like did an interview about it, you know, before he passed away obviously. And he said something like yeah, I just, I never met her, but I felt very, like, connected to her, Ugh. which is, like, gross. Ew. And, I, I mean. I hate that. I would get it if it were, because, you know, she did make his career, so on that level, I get it, but not enough to, like, pay that much money to be buried next to her. It's weird. Ew. It's weird. Yeah. Ugh. Um... After her death, obviously, there were lots of conspiracy theories. You can look up a lot of conspiracy theories about Marilyn Monroe's death. Yes. Um, A lot of people think she was murdered. Um, The speculation about that really started getting attention after Norman Mailer publishes a book called Marilyn, A Biography in 1973. In this book, he asserts that government agents had her killed okay um you know a lot of that comes from the belief that she was this is again where a lot of the stuff now about the kennedys is very oh, popular okay because that makes sense. okay the yeah. allegation was that she was threatening to reveal her relationship with 
like both of them and that also she had information linking them to organized crime that's like a very popular theory sure um after that book was published that there was like a kind of investigation basically just like a well they said it so we have to check Mm -hmm. um in 1982 but nothing ever came of it there was no evidence right um but man well and like i wouldn't put it past j edgar hoover to do something like that (laughs) i'm gonna do an episode on hoover at some point because that man dense though yeah dense subject yes yes (laughs) yeah but that's um that's marilyn wow I mean, she's very interesting. And yeah. Can I mention something about Marilyn that you did not mention that I thought you yeah. might? Yeah. Um, I don't I, I don't have any sources in front of me for this because I just thought about it while we were talking. But um, given that this is also the start of Pride Month, um, there is a lot of speculation about her sexuality. Um, oh, yeah. She, there is a lot of writing from her about how she... Um, never felt any emotional connection to any of the men she was ever with. Um, in fact, that she yeah. only ever felt happy with other women. Um, yeah. And so there is a lot of speculation that she may have either been bisexual, given just the amount of relationships of men that she was famously in, or mm-hmm. a lesbian who had suffered, obviously, a lot of trauma. sexual abuse and trauma from men right. so that her compulsory heterosexuality manifested through all of those unhealthy relationships she was in um yeah i I was waiting to see if you were going to mention it at any point but i find that um aspect yeah, of her also it, very interesting i know that that exists but it was not in the research that i right was looking into and like i was I said, also I a little hasty in front of me i've just read yeah. that several times yeah. i was a little hasty with these notes because last minute i was like <gasps> I haven't done my research yet. And we're on a tighter schedule this week because I'm like traveling at some point. So I was like, oh, I have to do my research. So I didn't uh, expand too terribly far in right. my research. But, but there's yeah. a little little early pride present for you. Yes. Oh Marilyn my gosh. Monroe might have been queer. It's pride month, baby. Yeah. Well, it will be. On, on, the, on your birthday. <laughs> yeah, on my birthday. And Marilyn's birthday. Yeah. Um, should we do a quick Google autofill? Sure. I feel like we haven't done one in a yeah. while. Um, okay, so how about was Marilyn Monroe? Uh-huh. Pregnant. Mm, yes. Yes. Did not last. Mm-hmm. Um, adopted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of. She had a legal guardian at one point, but I don't know if they ever adopted if, her if, if their arrangement was actually an, an, an adoption. adoption. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, was Marilyn Monroe married? Yeah, she sure was. Yeah. Uh, three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Marilyn Monroe smart? Okay, the fact that you're Googling that. Get out of here. Oh of course gosh. she was smart. She was a businesswoman. Yes. Get out of here. Um, um, a real blonde? No. 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 Um, I think she was brunette. Brunette, yeah. And I'm going to end with this one. Okay. This is a short one, but I just saw this one and I was like, okay. Was Marilyn Monroe a flapper? No, she was born in the 1920s. (laughs) What? She would not have been able to be a flapper because she was an infant. I guess there is a photo of her dressed like one. But that doesn't make you a flapper. uh At that point, it's a costume. Oh, wow. Oh, sweetie, no. Oh, no. 
different time period. Yeah, I guess. Uh, People are weird. Yeah. Well, that's Marilyn. She is very interesting. Had a really tragic life. Yeah. um, I've always loved her. I mean, maybe it's because I share a birthday with her and I've always, like, known that I share a birthday with her. Mm -hmm. She was the most famous person that I shared a birthday with. Right. Um, Mine is uh, Mr. Rogers, and I will absolutely do an episode on him close to my birthday at some point. Fred Rogers. I love Fred Rogers. I get so much good Fred Rogers, like, feels because I live in Pittsburgh, and that's where they film the show, so Mm -hmm. I get, like, oh, it's always Fred Rogers. It was just recently, 143 Day, which is, like, um, Mr. Rogers' thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, 143 are the letters in I Love You, and he, like, made that thing. In in Pittsburgh, we celebrate 143 Day. Right. Um, On the, uh, like, I think it's on the anniversary of when the show started filming or something like that. Oh, Okay. Um, that's not the point of this episode. <laughs> We're talking about Marilyn. Um, yeah. So I just find her really interesting. Yeah, and... it's a good episode. Thanks. So, listeners, it'll be Pride Month le- next month. Uh-huh. So I assume we'll be doing some uh, appropriately themed episodes. Yes, knowing really us, I would discussed guess. it. Yeah, I just thought that would probably happen naturally. Um, <laughs> so I don't know exactly what those will entail, but nope. that's what. That's what it'll be. Um, but if any of you have any suggestions for topics or if you have questions or comments, et cetera, et cetera, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at RTTPod. Um, we're also on Facebook if you want to look up the name of the podcast. And we would love it if you would leave a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. Those make us very happy. Um, and if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. I did it. All right. Um, well, enjoy uh, Anna's birthday. <laughs> enjoy. Yes, enjoy my birthday. The coming Pride Month. Yes. And until next time, remember that time. Mm-hmm.